Leading the Charge, Opportunity in Transition, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with the ECA. Welcome to Leading the Charge, the ECA and Content with Purpose podcast series that delves into how our journey to net zero is transforming the electrotechnical sector. I am your host, Rob Smith, and we hope that uh, none of you listening today are going to be shocked while listening to the podcast. Genuinely, we do, because we are talking today about safety. Uh, I expect all of us have at some point in our life received something of an electric shock, whether you're a professional or whether you've just held onto a Van de Graaff generator at school or bumped into an electric fence when you were uh, wandering around a field of cows. It's an experience none of us really wants to repeat and the consequences, of course, of poor safety can go way beyond a mild electric shock in a cow field. And when you, you consider just how enormous the planned future electrification of the UK is going to be, spanning transport, heating, smart buildings, EV infrastructure and more, well, do we really have the right safe infrastructure, the right safety regulations, and how can you ensure that you are keeping pace with all of those changes? So to help answer some of those questions, we've asked Leslie Rudd to join us from Electrical Safety First. And we're also having a chat with Mike Smith from the ECA. So, uh, Leslie First, let's have a bit of a chat with you. ESF, Electrical Safety First. Give us a brief overview then of who you are and what you actually do. Okay, yeah, we're a campaigning charity and we try to reduce deaths and injuries caused by electricity in UK homes. We do, um, we work closely with government and the electrical industry and consumer safety groups. Um, We contribute towards safety regulations and standards. We also campaign to raise awareness of issues with consumers and we campaign to change legislation and regulations as well. Okay, and you get involved in some quite detailed stuff, don't you, and working closely with government? Yeah, we do. We're, we're on a lot of um, groups. We work closely on um, things like developing the, the wiring regulations, JPAL 64, and um, product standard committees as well. Um, and we also, one of our main things, I think, is we bring together industry discussions, uh, facilitate those discussions and try and get common ground and develop best practice guides. Okay, we'll get into a lot more detail on that in just a second. Mike, let's just bring you and you, just to introduce you to everybody. Tell us a bit about your role within the ECA. Hi, um, well, I'm Technical Director of the ECA. Um, In respect to this topic, I really have a team that are looking at the creation and development of standards. Uh, Leslie just mentioned JPL 64. That's the uh, British Standards uh, Committee structure for the standards in the UK. So heavily involved with all uh, their major committee and, and all their subcommittees, setting standards and also working with uh, people like Unite the Union in terms of skills um, and labour. Um, and very much like Leslie, working on a number of uh, working groups with government um, on competency and um, product safety standards. Leading the charge, opportunity in transition. This episode is sponsored by Mega and the Luceco Group. Mega has been a leader in electrical test and measurement globally for 130 years. The Luceco Group are market leaders in key electrical categories, offering a one-stop shop for trade and retail accessories. Learn more about how they are leading the charge towards a sustainable future on our digital series website, leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk. Leading the charge. 
Opportunity okay, in well, transition. So, Leslie, let's come back to you then. Um, we're talking about safety. That's the, the topic that we're really concentrating on today. And I, and I suppose it's, it's worth just starting off with some really basic stuff because electricity and electrical faults is actually a, a, probably the major cause of accidental fires in the UK. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't think this is particularly well known. Uh, there are almost, eight, in England and Wales alone last year, there were almost 18,000 accidental fires um, in England and Scotland. And um, there was less than two, 3,000 accidental gas fires. And yet, really, there's a lot more publicity around gas. And when I look through uh, government documents about things like net zero and climate change, there's always a lot more mention of safety related to things like hydrogen um, and very little on electricity. So we do need to um, be, have that a bit higher up the agenda so that we can you know, transition to electricity uh, safely. Why do you think that is? Do they just not recognise how big a problem there actually is there? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, I, I worked in the oil and gas industry for many years and there were some you know, major explosions and, and things like that. And as a result, there was a lot of regulations came in um, and the, you know, in, the industry um, was improved significantly. Um, you know, there's a requirements for annual gas safety checks, things like that were introduced. And um, I think there's still a sort of a memory of some of those types of things and, a, and a, an acknowledgement of that. And um and we just need to catch up with some of these things with it with electricity as well. We need to get the, um, the regulations in place to make sure that the focus is on electricity as as we move from gas to electricity. Absolutely, because what, after twenty twenty five, any new builds won't be able to have gas central heating fitted in them at all. And we have actually got the, some of the oldest housing stock in Europe. So there's kind of like a double problem going on there. There's a, a huge churn is going to happen. That's right. Yes, and I mean. Um, there's a priority services register, which is um, provided by the energy suppliers. And as part of that, some vulnerable customers can have free gas safety checks. There's no equivalent for um, electricity. And yet, you know, as you say, from 2025, new homes won't have gas. And also, as we electrify our heating, then, you know, eventually no one's going to have gas heating. So we need these things to catch up. Well, Mike, actually getting people to catch up, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Well, it is. I, I think... Um, just picking up on Leslie's point about sort of oil and gas industry um, and even domestic sort of gas installers, it, it, it is different. Um, oil and gas is a very regulated industry. Um, I think uh, in terms of electrical work, it's been more sort of aligned with general construction. And therefore, the government's been very sort of reluctant to step in and start legislating uh, and have uh, legal requirements in terms of uh, competence or, or licensing. So, so that, that's um, there's a big difference between the industries, and, and I think it's it's a bit of a wake up call actually looking at those stats and seeing just just how prevalent um, electrical um, uh, problems of, with with fire and, and safety are. And when you look at the fact that there's there's already a huge amount of growth is is kind of planned in, it's a sort of a twofold issue, isn't it? That there's a lot more electrical equipment is going to be uh, installed and there's nowhere near enough people to actually do it. There aren't enough competent people in the market at the moment. Yeah, we've, we've got a perfect storm in, in a way. Uh, 
in, in terms of uh, electrical demand, I understand that homes now equate to almost 30% of overall global demand, and that's rising rapidly. Um, we've got uh, net zero carbon technologies that are coming in, um, but we have to upskill the existing workforce. And more importantly, probably, is that we have to attract new entrants into this marketplace. Yeah, just... Um reiterating Mike's point really that you know there's 20 about 27 million homes in the UK and we've got about 85 percent of them heated by gas so we're going to need to move away from that obviously um, there's also been the pandemic has made um, it's been a catalyst really for lots of people to work from home so we've got a lot more people working in their homes as well so you know our, our homes have now become our offices as well as where we come to at the end of the day and um, we've also got about 38 million cars in the UK that need to be replaced by uh, ultra-low emission vehicles. And that adds to the uh, the issue as well, because, you know, we need charging points. Many of them will be in homes. So we we found at Electrical Safety First that 74%... No, no, the, ESF, you've already been sort of involved in lots of campaigning around this, haven't you? Because you, you had a campaign in Scotland to actually make sure that there was a lot more uh, electrical safety checks going on in residential properties. That's right, yeah, we've been campaigning right across the UK. Um, Scotland is um, where there has been the most success. Um, so we campaigned for um, the electrical installation condition reports to be mandatory every at least every five years. And in Scotland, that is now the case in the private sector and the social sector and short-term lets, which has just come in recently. Um, and in the UK, sorry, in the rest of the UK, it, it's it's quite good as well. Um, so we've got uh, the private rented sector in England, the mandated, and soon will be in social rented uh, sector in England. And in Wales, it's going to be the social and the private rented sector in December. So we've just got Northern Ireland, really, where there's only the private rented sector have got these mandated checks. But there's also, in, there's not just inconsistency across the nations, there's also inconsistency across tenure, because, of course, um, the owner-occupier don't have to do any of this. So we're, we're campaigning for on that whole range of um, uh, right across the geography and the tenure to try and get some more consistency. So, Mike, I mean, as the ECA, it, this is where you really come in, isn't it? Actually getting everybody across the board up to speed to make sure that they're actually fully aware of what all the regs are. I mean, in terms of the private rented sector, uh, we've, we've come a long way now. We've introduced the legislation uh, quite recently, um, and landlords are getting on board. They're starting to understand what their um, commitments are. Um, there have been some issues. Um, there is high demand for electrical contractors to uh, undertake the ICRs, um, and landlords don't want to pay. Uh, they want to be as cheap as possible, quick as possible. Um, so unfortunately, that, that leads to a, um, a market out there that... Um, allows for uh, underqualified or non-qualified people doing uh, electrical safety checks and, and drive-by checks, which uh, shouldn't be happening and, and legal action should be taken against them. But uh, uh, those prosecutions will happen um, and we will, as an industry, get where we need to be. But I, I've seen a massive improvement uh, in, in terms of the private rented sector and I hope that uh, continues uh, post-consultation to the social um, sector and uh, we see the same again. Leslie, you want to jump in? Yeah, it was just to um, to say that we did a freedom of information request um, across um, local authorities 
And we found that um, 7,000 electrical faults had been found in more than a quarter of local authority areas since the private rented sector had these mandatory checks introduced in June 2020. So I think that just goes to show that there is obviously a need for, for this type of um, this type of checks to be done because those faults would have probably gone undetected and obviously then the work would have been done to rectify them as well. So um, we do, you know, it's, I agree with Mike that we um, we need more people to do the checks, but we do need the the um, the checks to to continue because this just demonstrates how important they are. So we're looking at the transition from where we are today into a, a kind of post-fossil fuel world and the, the huge amount of work that's going on. So where do you see the key risks actually being as we get into this this new dynamic in the future? Well, if I jump in there, Leslie, if you don't mind. Um, in terms of safety risks, there there are two obvious ones we've already talked about, and that, that's electric shock and fire risk. Um, with net zero carbon technologies, uh, they are new. Uh, people are learning as as they go. Uh, we're developing standards. We've changed the uh, IET wiring regs you know, three times fairly recently uh, in terms of uh, PV um, and uh, electrical vehicle charging. Uh, and so there are standards developments going on all the time. In, in terms of uh, these technologies, um, we are at the moment looking at uh, various uh, changes to qualifications. We're working with awarding bodies uh, in, in terms of uh, PV and solar. We're looking at new requirements um, for uh, Part P and the um, competent person schemes for uh, individuals working in that area. Uh, MCS, the micro generation certification schemes, are looking at tightening up their requirements for competence. So th- there's lots of work going on at this moment in time. Uh, and, and so the, the biggest thing for, for me and for the association is to um, not only develop the standards and create the standards, but then communicate what's coming, the changes that are going to affect our industry, and communicating through presentations, through webinars, uh, through blogs uh, and social media. And, and it's about awareness. And then keeping on the, the, the training um in terms of lifelong learning, uh, because in the past, in construction in particular, people have tended to qualify once and then practice forever. Uh, that's no longer the case, and, and we can't have that going forward. We need to keep up to speed as technology advances so quickly. So I, I think what you're going to see a lot more is in terms of new regulations being required as, as mandatory uh, updates and also lots more CPD in this area. Leslie, I presume you're sort of very pleased to hear all that. The ECA as an organisation are taking this stuff seriously and wanting to improve safety of the installation of electric, electrical stuff literally from the ground up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's got to come from there and it's also got to come from, from government as well. So, you know, as Mike says, we need a, we need a lot more um, appropriately qualified electricians and, um, you know, I think, Mike, as Mike said, we need young people as, as well as training for the people, you know, so new entrants as well as training for the people that are already here. Um, I mean, you know, the net zero can bring a huge amount of benefits, clearly. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to be doing, but we just need to make sure that it is done safely. And so I think, you know, it's got to be front and centre of everything we do. 
because I think I'm right in saying there's somewhere between uh, twelve and 15,000 more electrical installers are going to be needed to actually transition over the next few years. That's brilliant news for people who want to get into that, but there's also the danger that you'll have more people coming in chancing their arm. There's the possibility of more people, if there's a colossal amount of work, that you'll get people who are just going to be cowboys and will try and take advantage of the situation. When the demand outstrips the supply, I mean, that is the inevitable uh, consequence that, that people will want to enter the market. Uh, they'll want to undertake training as quickly uh, and as cheaply as possible uh, and, and get in there and, and, and start supplying stuff. Um, the fact is that um, that is the road to a, a very dangerous path and, and we must control the uh, quality of training and have the uh, right skills, uh, knowledge and experience to actually install these safely it, because um, there are so many things that can go wrong and I, I, I wouldn't want to get too technical but but even even simply uh, somebody from, from a DIY perspective installing uh, EV chargers etc um, the amount of uh, knowledge that's actually required in terms of the incoming supply the earthing arrangements uh, the protection devices um, it, it, it is complicated and it is a specialist um, field and, and that's that's where it needs to stay. Absolutely. Leslie, if I could bring you back in on this, because EV charges are an interesting one, aren't they? Lots of people are resorting either because they think it's too expensive to have a, an EV charger fitted or because they don't understand how it, potentially dangerous it can be, that they're literally just putting together multiple sockets out their house to plug the car in on the driveway. That's right. Yeah, we, we've done some research on this and um, we had 74% of those who charged an EV via a household domestic socket were daisy chaining leads, which makes things even worse. You know, there's an increased risk of electric shock or fire there. And really, the, when we asked them why they were doing this, they blamed a lack of access to public charging points. And that's even worse where you've got flats and, you know, tower blocks, high density housing. So, um, you know, it's, it's a big issue and um, something, something that um, people need to do safely. And one of the, one of the problems, as Mike has, has said, really, is that if you haven't got um, skilled people as well to do these installations, then people will try and do things themselves. So that's true of, you know, all sorts of uh, installations. They will try and do them themselves. So there's, there's using people who aren't competent, but there's also actually even you know, is really bad is trying to do the work themselves. And we find that that is causing real problems. And the other thing is, as well, of course, we've got the cost of living crisis as a, an ongoing issue. And the internet has happened. So people are going online and buying all sorts of bits and pieces, which are promising them that they can cut their bills and promising them that they can do all sorts of marvellous stuff for next to nothing. But it's often, <laughs> if it looks too good, be, too good to be true, it usually is. Yeah, we've done loads of testing on this type of thing. So there's first of all, there's the online marketplaces where they're not as regulated as when you buy something from a high street store. So um, there's all sorts of products coming in that are either you know they're they're not they're not safe. They're sometimes uh, counterfeit. But they're from our point of view, the main thing is they're not safe. So we've tested lots of those and we've contacted the um, online marketplaces and got them to take the products down. From sale, but you know it's a continuous problem. There's more all the time, 
And then the other thing we had with the with the cost of living crisis now, with people worrying about their energy bills, what we've got is people, as as is always the case, you know, people exploiting this. So we had some products which were claiming to save money on electricity bills to consumers. And there were sort of plug-in devices which said they would save you energy or stabilise your electrical current. And when we tested them, they all failed basic safety standards. And um, we recorded video evidence of them being tested and they actually exploded and sent sort of shreds across the, the room. They're actually dangerous. I mean, Mike, you're a professional. It must just make your heart sink when you hear about that, that kind of stuff. You must see some real horror stories. Uh, you do it. Fortunately, at this moment in time, we don't see too many. But with the cost of uh, energy uh, and, and with potentially a recession around the corner, um, we can only forecast that this might get worse. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, programmes like this today are really highlighting what the issue is and what the potential is. Uh, it, it, it is absolutely the right time, right place, right topic. Um, and, and you know, we're seeing so many different things at this moment in time. I, I know there's a major problem in New York at the moment with e-bikes. Um, the, the the price of um, of the standard replacement batteries are so high that uh, people are going online and buying uh, a, a cheaper Chinese version that's got no type testing or etc. Uh, and they you know they're having four fires a day uh, some days uh, in terms of uh, e-bikes and uh, they, they are seeing some horrific injuries and fires. So um, that is the worry that that transfers across here across the pond um and that when we do start up uh, ev um, cars and bikes and, and scooters start replacing batteries that that actually you know more fires more injuries uh, and, and you know we really do need to keep on top of this yeah, there's a lot of stuff to think about as we go forward isn't there yeah. there really is uh, we've talked a lot about ev charges i want to talk briefly about um solar panels as well and other photovoltaic uh, applications how much of an issue are they likely to be well again that's, that's that's quite a concern at this moment in time because of energy prices actually we're, we're seeing contractors um really struggling to meet demand at this moment uh that they're Lots of people out there that are looking for solar panels and are looking for them very quickly. So that, that creates uh, a demand that contractors at this moment in time can't get you know, quality products uh, into the country even uh, to service that demand. So um, where are they going to look? Uh, and, and so that, again, uh, sets up this, this, this market where um, people will um, jump in and they'll be prepared to install um poor products in in very unsafe ways and um if we go back to even 2018 pre-pandemic um bre uh, undertook a report and, and research into fires in pv installations uh, and 30 percent of those fires were due to installation issues uh, mainly through ingress of water uh, glanding issues and, and and the dc isolators um but but those are learn uh, have been learnt by the industry and the industry's got better. But these new entrants aren't going to pay any attention to that. They'll do whatever they can, uh, quick in, quick out. So Leslie, would you like to see a sort of a much broader publicity campaign led maybe by government to actually say, 
This is a big issue. We've got to take electrical safety much more seriously. Don't just do it at home. I remember those films back in the 1970s, those public safety information films where you'd see people, you know, trying to rewire an iron or just reminding you that you, you have to take the plug out the wall before you change the fuse in it, those kind of things. Do we need to have some more of that kind of really basic public information around electrical safety? Yeah, that would certainly help. I mean, we do quite a lot of campaigns to try and raise awareness, um, but a government campaign would would be great. I mean, as you say, they don't happen as much as they used to, um, but this is very important, so I think that they should. Um, we get involved with sort of Electrical Fire Safety Week, which is in November, where we work with the Home Office on doing campaigning about electrical safety, but um, there could definitely be more done in that area. Uh, it is sometimes about, you know, people being aware of the dangers and also giving them some tips about how they could do things differently. So it's sort of, you know, what not to do and what they should be doing. Um, you know, we've seen instances recently of people sort of hanging sort of water from electric fans, you know, and or ice cubes and things like that. I mean, you know, I think, you know, we should probably all know that electricity and water don't mix very well. But it's, you know, in these times when people are, you know, there's... Um, there's been there's been a lot of um, heat waves this summer. Um, the winter is seeing people really struggling to pay their bills. Um, so we're going to have people with portable heaters in one room and perhaps drying things over them. You know, wh whatever it is, and the different times of the year, there was always something that seemed to people seem to be acting in a way which is quite dangerous with electricity. Therefore, as much raising of awareness as possible would help. I mean, Mike, I presume the ECA would be fully on board with that kind of a safety campaign, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, just reflecting on, on the question, over the, over the last few decades, I think there's been more reliance on industry to communicate with the public than, than government, and, or, or possibly even through local authorities who are strapped to cash. Um, the industry is, is more than willing to get that message out there, but... That being underpinned by government and, and, and really putting some emphasis behind we must change uh, and we must take account of um, safety issues, then, then, then that's a powerful message. So absolutely on board with that. Yeah, completely. And particularly in a post-Grenfell world, because let's not forget that that fire was caused by an electrical fire, I think, in a fridge. Um, something as simple as that caused such devastating consequences. So, you know, it really is it's the, it's the most important thing. Well, as we come to sort of the end of our conversation here. Sorry, sorry I, yeah, I was just going to say, well, yeah, it was the actual uh, electrical connections on, onto the compressor at the back of the fridge, which, which caused that devastating fire. Um, and... I've been involved with a number of working groups uh, post Grenfell looking at safety and competence and products, um, and and it and it's really harrowing to to see how standards have really slipped in in terms of uh, construction and the safety checks and uh, that that used to be there seem to disappear, um, all in the aid of you know value engineering and making the job cheaper and quicker. So we have to get back to safety first, uh, and that's what we're absolutely about. That's a really key message, it really is. So as we bring the conversation towards a conclusion then, Leslie, I mean, what's the, the, the main thought that you want us to take away from today? Well, I mean, I think that net zero and the electrification of heat and transport is hugely important. And um, I certainly you know, don't want to um, put people off in any way transitioning to net zero, I think it's hugely important. 
But what we've got to do is make sure that we do it safely. And there's a number of ways that can be done. You know, we've talked about a legislation. Legislation, there are some things that could quite simply help if there was legislation. Um, and we've also talked about raising awareness that is also required. I think one of the, the biggest things really is that it's a big issue when we've got to work together. We've got to have collaboration. We've got to have organisations like ourselves, uh, organisations like the ACA and many others all working together and sort of pulling in the same direction and putting out the same messages really to try and get government to take action and others. And Mike, from your perspective, uh, I mean, you know, we could scare ourselves silly about this kind of thing. Are we actually heading in the right direction, do you think, in terms of the conversation around electrical safety and the transition that is going to happen? Are we going to be able to do this safely? Yes, we we have got a great opportunity in this country to uh, move to more electrification. Um, my message to our, my members and also to the wider industry is, is to take that opportunity. Um, we have a, a population of um, youngsters that really engage with sustainability uh, and, and the green agenda. We have got an attractive proposition to um, have a career in this industry. We should be making most of that um, and, and actually attracting people into trades, not, not, not just through uh, higher education. Um, they'll have a great career, um, a safe one, one that has got great standards, great working practices. But we must, as we have today, just guard against those people coming in and trying to dumb it down, make it cheaper and, 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 and less safe. So, it, it, as I said, it's a great opportunity for our members to really get engaged with net zero carbon. Um, and, yeah, let, let's take this country forward. Absolutely. Mike Smith uh, from the uh, ECA, thank you very much. And uh, Leslie Rudd from the ESF, both of you, thank you both for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. I've learned uh, a few key things. One, which is not to mix water and electricity unless it's in a kettle. Uh, otherwise, call an expert in. That's, uh, that's one of the key ones for me. And uh, just to yeah, approach it properly and we can really do some great stuff in the future. Join us again for the next one. Thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, Mega and the Loose Echo Group. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Leading the Charge series by going to leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk or simply searching for Leading the Charge online. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on social to check out more of our podcast collaborations.